After a few weeks of hiatus, we are back in the book of Philippians, and uh, we are reminded that the overall theme of the book of, of Philippians is to rejoice. We're in a section that specifically calls us to rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, and that always is that in each and every circumstance, we are not only to be rejoicing, but that the ultimate cause of rejoicing is the Lord. Our rejoicing is not to be dependent upon our circumstances, whether those circumstances are pleasant or unpleasant. We already saw in weeks past how Paul was able to rejoice in unpleasant circumstances, such as his imprisonment and the way that he rejoiced in the way in which the gospel was being furthered by his imprisonment. Tonight, we look at a pleasurable circumstance in which the Apostle Paul is rejoicing, again, not in the circumstance itself, but rather in the Lord, in the Lord. The key verse for this evening is Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I invite you to turn with me there in your Bibles, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It states, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He is rejoicing in the Lord. It is in the context of a gift that they had sent to Paul by the hands of Epaphroditus, in which they were contributing to his needs. So tonight, the theme is, Paul continues to rejoice in the Lord, having received a generous gift from the Philippians. The first point this evening is that Paul is rejoicing in the Lord because of what the gift demonstrated. It was not the gift itself, but rather in what the gift demonstrated, namely God's working in their lives. And as we unpack this first session, we see that there are a number of things that this gift demonstrated in the life of the Philippians. First, Paul was rejoicing because the gift demonstrated the fact that the Philippians were continuing to think about Paul and his situation. Verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, now these words, you have revived your concern for me. That once again, they had demonstrated their concern. This word means to be thinking about. They had been contemplating the Apostle Paul. They had been interested in his situation. They were cognizant of his circumstances in prison, and so they were willing, in verse 14 it says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. So they participated in the Apostle Paul's difficulties, namely giving him this gift to alleviate some of those troubles, some of those anguishes, some of those difficulties. So Paul's rejoicing that they're thinking about him and willing to share in his trouble. Secondly, Paul was rejoicing because the gift demonstrated the Philippians were unique in their concern for Paul and his ministry. The Philippians stood out. They were a unique kind of church 
different from other churches to whom Paul had ministered. If you look at verse 16, it says, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. No other church had contributed to the ministry of the Apostle Paul the way that the Philippians did. And he says, you're aware of that. You know that. And yet it was not a deterrent. The Philippians didn't say, why should we participate when none of the other churches are? But rather, instead, they looked at it as an even greater reason for them to participate in Paul's ministry. If others are not doing this, then we need to do it. And so he's rejoicing in their uniqueness. It was fantastic that they were standing in allegiance with Paul and Christ in a way that others were not. Thirdly, Paul was rejoicing because the gift demonstrated the abundance of the Philippians' generosity. Verse 16, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So even twice while he was at Thessalonica, they ministered to Paul by sending him a gift. So you see that this is a repeated action on the part of the Philippians. Paul is not in Thessalonia when he writes this letter to them. So here's at least three times that they had sent a gift to Paul. No one else had, but they had repeatedly. So they were extremely generous, faithful, committed, all for which Paul is rejoicing. Fourthly, and here's the ultimate point, Paul was rejoicing because the gift demonstrated in all these previous points that God was at work in their hearts and their lives. And so that's why he's rejoicing in the Lord, because ultimately this is contributed to God's grace and goodness to them. In verse 15, it says, New Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left the Macedonia, no church entered into, and then you have this word participation, um, translated as communicated in verse 15 in the King James, and the NIV and NAS uh, translate this shared with me. If you have a great memory, you might remember back when we were in Philippians chapter 1. And we looked at the word there, and it was an important word. It's the same word in our text. In Philippians 1.3, it said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So in every remembrance, and here is this remembrance now concerning the gift. He said, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day into now. So this all is in association with their partnership in the gospel, their participation in the gospel. That at the focal point was the gospel. We'll be saying more about that later. And then he goes on to say, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will perform it unto the completion in the day of Jesus Christ. 
It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are participants with me in God's grace. I'm rejoicing in God because God is at work in you. All of these things that this gift demonstrated ultimately showed that God was at work. And that's why he's rejoicing in God, for God was doing this through the Philippians. He goes on to say, which is point number two, that Paul is not rejoicing simply because of the gift that he had received. There was much more to it than that. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord. Now, as we think about this gift, he makes it clear that Paul was not dependent upon the gift in order to rejoice. Paul was not in dire need when the gift came to him in verse 11. It says, not that I am speaking in need. So it's not the need that is prompting this rejoicing. It's not that he's looking at his situation and saying, wow, boy, is it great that my circumstances changed because this gift has come. He says, no, it's not, it's not, I'm, I'm not speaking out of need. It is not as though Paul would have been at wit's end had he not received this gift or that Paul would not have been rejoicing if he had not received this gift. It did not change his relationship to the Lord. It did not change this aspect of always rejoicing. So it was not the occasion, if you will, of his rejoicing. Paul was not dependent upon the gift because Paul has been taught not to be dependent upon his circumstances as a cause of rejoicing. Verse 11, not that I'm speaking of need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, to be content. The word learned here means to learn through instruction as opposed to learn through trial or error or through experience. Paul said, I've been taught, I've been taught to be content. And the word contentment, uh, I think, can mean a lot of things to us, and uh, it might be easily misconstrued. The word that's used here means to be self-sufficient, to be self-sufficient, to be able to function with what one has. So Paul is saying, I didn't need this gift for survival. I didn't need this gift in order to continue on. I didn't need this gift in order to remain faithful to God. I'm not speaking about need. He said, because I've been instructed, I've been taught to be self-sufficient, to function with what I have. Paul said, I have come to know this by experience. Paul had been in situations where he'd had very little. Verse 12, for I know, that's a different word from learned, here's the experience. I have gained experience how to be brought low, how to be humbled, how, how to deal, do with very little. And then he goes on to say, but he'd also been in situations where he had an abundance or a great deal. Verse 12, 
I know how to be brought low and I know how to, be, how to abound. He goes on to say, in any and every circumstance, in any and every circumstance, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little, I've learned to rejoice and, and to be self-sufficient. Now that's a, a very interesting concept for, if we're going to be honest, we, we recognize that many times we are not satisfied with what we have or view that it is sufficient even when we have a lot. So it's not really about how much we have, but rather an attitude towards what we have. Paul said, I have learned in every situation to be satisfied in the sense of being self-sufficient, self-sustaining, whether having a lot or having a little. It doesn't matter. So how did Paul come to gain that experience in his life? Well, once Paul had become a Christian, Paul had come to realize a spiritual secret regarding sufficiency, verse 12. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in every circumstance. He said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. I've learned the secret. Uh, I'm dubious when people want to give us spiritual secrets, little keys, okay? I'll let you in on a little secret. But Paul says, I, I've, I've learned a secret. And this word for secret, it's, it's an interesting word for, it's a word that speaks of an introduction into the unknown unless you are part of the initiated, all right? You have to be a part of the group to learn this secret. For example, the Masons are a secret oath-bound society. And there are certain things you're not gonna know about Masonry until you become a Mason. Until you actually walk in and begin to participate. And once you begin to participate as a Mason, they start telling you things that you don't know about until you become a Mason. So Paul's gonna send He's going to share a secret here, a secret that he didn't know until he became a Christian, until he placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he didn't realize the truth that he's about to share with us. And he goes on to say, you really need to be a believer in Christ to get this secret. So what's the secret? What's the secret? It's given to us in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret is, I've learned that Christ is my sufficiency. I have learned that he supplies my needs. I have learned of his watch care. I've learned of his governance in my life. I've learned to trust in Jesus. And believing in Jesus' sufficiency, believing in Jesus' wisdom, believing in Jesus' provision, believing in Jesus' ability, 
I have learned not to be what I've been referring to all this time as self-sufficient, but rather I've learned to have sufficiency in Christ. I've learned to deal with what Christ has given me and realize that it is adequate for my needs. Christ is adequate. So Paul is not truly self-sufficient, but he doesn't need other help other than what Jesus provides. It is important to keep in mind that Paul has come to realize that he is dependent upon God, whether he has little or much. All too often, we have a false sense of security when we have much. And we fail to rejoice in the Lord because we don't feel like we need the Lord. If we are, you know, there was an old saying that there are no atheists in foxholes. When things get really bad, people have a tendency to turn to the Lord. When things are going really well, that's when people have a tendency to fall away and to feel self-sufficient, feel that everything they have is adequate, and then when, quote-unquote, a need arises, that's when they turn to the Lord. Paul says, I've learned that my sufficiency is Christ, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot. It all comes from him, and I need him, whether I have a little or whether I have a lot. That's the secret, he says. So Paul had not set his hope on the Philippians. It wasn't that as he sat in prison that he's waiting for the mail, Actually, he's waiting for Epaphroditus, but he doesn't know Epaphroditus is coming. It's not like he's waiting for a messenger and saying, boy, I sure hope the Philippians come through again. They've already contributed to me numerous times. Boy, Philippians, I need you now. No, Paul, as he's sitting in prison, is focusing upon Christ and believing that Christ is going to deliver him. Christ is going to help him. Christ is going to minister to their needs. And so he's rejoicing because once again, Christ has met his need. Christ is sufficient. Christ had worked in their hearts and lives, and that's why he was rejoicing in the Lord. Now, one might think that this sounds as though that Paul is not appreciative of the Philippians and their sacrifice. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Paul is very appreciative of the Philippians and for their sacrifice. And Paul does not want them to be discouraged by what he said, as though their giving to Paul was useless. Okay, we don't need to give Paul anymore, because he just says Christ is going to take care of him, so okay, we'll forget about Paul and let Christ take care of him. That's not what he's saying at all. And so lest he be misunderstood, Paul is now rejoicing the Lord and encourages the Philippians to continue to give because the Philippians had done a good thing in proving and providing Paul with a gift. 
He does not mean to diss them or disrespect them in any way. In fact, he encourages them to continue their giving for what they have done is good. Now let's look at this encouragement to the Philippians to continue their giving. First, what Paul now says, he says not in order to manipulate the Philippians of giving more to Paul. Verse 17, not that I seek a gift. Paul says, I want you to continue giving, but not because I want a gift from you. That's, that's not the point. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to get more out of you than you've already given. This isn't about me. This is about you. I want you to realize that what you've done is a good thing. Not because I want a gift. But rather, the Philippians had done a good thing in providing Paul with this gift because they had earned a good reputation for what they have done. Verse 17. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Your credit there is to your account, and the account that he is speaking of is their reputation. They had developed a good reputation, namely that God was at work in their lives. It had become known that the Philippians had given repeatedly to the Apostle Paul. Remember, no other church has given to Paul like this. And so Paul says, this has been to your credit, this has been to your reputation. People have heard about you and your difference And that brings honor and glory to God. So you've done a good thing. Next, the Philippians had done a good thing in providing Paul with this gift because it provided a service unto the Lord. Verse 18. It says, I have received full payment And more, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. It was generous. And then he describes this gift as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and a pleasing to God. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now it's really essential that we understand this point. For it helps us to really understand giving and rejoicing in the Lord. What they have done for Paul, ultimately they have done out of a love for God and for his work. It's because of their participation in the gospel, going all the way back to that. It was not mere friendship, nor the way a parent would support a child in need. The giving of the gift was not motivated primarily by a commitment to Paul. It was motivated by their commitment to the Lord. What they had done, this gift, was the result of the gospel in their own lives and the work of the gospel in Paul's life. So they were participating in their mind in the gospel. They wanted to see the gospel furthered. And in giving to Paul, they saw this as a practical means of furthering the gospel. 
Here is an important lesson. For all too often, our support of individuals is just that, a support for the individual. It is a result of our commitment to them. Take, for example, a loved one who decides to participate in a walk that is organized to raise money to save the blue-eyed lizard from distinction. And they ask if you will support them at a dollar a mile as they walk to raise money to keep the blue-eyed lizard from distinction. You may say, sure, I'll support you for a dollar a mile. Not because you are concerned about the blue-eyed lizard and you want to keep the blue-eyed lizard from distinction, but because they're your child, because they're your nephew, their friend, you're a loved one, sure, I will support you. But if a stranger came to you and said, I'm walking for the cause of keeping the blue-eyed lizard from distinction, will you support me? No, thanks. I'm not interested. Uh, Thanks anyway. Well, in a similar manner, all too often in supporting supposedly the cause of Christ, in reality, it's the person that's being supported. It's because we like the person, related to the person. The person's a great person. So we'll support that person. It is not motivated primarily for a concern of furthering the cause of Christ. To put it more clearly, the only reason that we support them is honestly because of who they are and we want to be helpful to them. If a stranger would come to us with the same request, with the same ministry, with the same activity, we might be apt to say no, just as we are to the person who's walking to keep the blue-eyed lizard from distinction. Paul says, your gift has come up. It is favorable. It's acceptable to God. For that is what motivated you to give. Your gift was ultimately for God's work. For God's work. And that's why Paul's rejoicing. And that's why he says, you've done well. You've done well. Keep it up. Not because I want money, but because you want to give to God and further his work. What a cause for rejoicing. So then Paul encourages the Philippians to continue to give because the Philippians can be well assured that God will meet their needs even as God has met Paul's needs. Notice verse 19. What God had done for Paul, God will do for the Philippians, namely meet their needs. Verse 19, and my God, this all-sufficient God, this Christ whom I've learned I can do all things through, my God will supply every need of yours. You can be assured of that. 
You can't outgive God. You don't have to keep it back for a rainy day. You see, what restrained others from giving when the Philippians were giving abundantly, when the Philippians were giving generously? What distinguished those two groups? They're both Christians. It's talking about what other churches have done or failed to do. So what set the Philippians apart? Well, it was their desire to see the work of God prosper. And then secondly, it was their faith and confidence in God that said, we can spare this. We can give this. We have enough. And so Paul says, that's a wonderful attitude. Maintain it. Because my God can supply your needs. You don't have to worry about the rainy day. And then notice verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The riches of glory. The, the glorious riches. God is wealthy. You know the hymn, and it comes from the Psalms, that says, my father is rich in houses and lands. He owns the cattle in a thousand fields. All things belong unto God. God can supply your need. Well, says, I learned that. I learned that Christ can supply my need. Now I'm telling you, Paul says to the Philippians, my God, in keeping with his riches, can supply your needs. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep giving. God has the ability to supply. And in that supply, in that supply, the most important lesson is you can do all things, he's saying to the Philippians, through Christ who strengthens you. You can rely upon Christ. You can rely upon God. He'll be faithful to you. You can rejoice in any circumstance because of who God is and his care and his watch over you. So the conclusion is verse 20. To our God and Father the glory be the glory forever and ever. That's why he's rejoicing in the Lord. Because he says, to God be the glory. It's not the Philippians, and he's not saying that to demean them. But he's simply saying, recognize the glory of God and what he does in our lives. Rejoice that God is at work in you, he's saying to the Philippians. Rejoice that you've come to faith. Rejoice in God's grace. Rejoice in your participation in the gospel. Rejoice in the fact that you love the gospel. Rejoice in the fact that you were concerned when I was in prison whether or not that gospel would be furthered. 
Thank you that you were committed to the gospel and so you gave to me in my ministry. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And he turns to the Lord and says, I thank, my, I thank you in every remembrance of the Philippians, knowing of your grace in their lives. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord. Not because of a gift or the lack thereof, but of God's activity in the giver. God's sufficiency for us in all things. We should be a grateful people pointing one another to God's enablement, giving him glory for what he does. Ultimately, our trust is to be not in the faithful donors or the people who have been so faithfully standing by us or even our loved ones. For all of them can fail. All of them can run out of resources. All of them can move from a place of prosperity to a place of need. Our ultimate security and ultimate source of rejoicing is God. God. And secondarily, people. So Paul is thankful for the Philippians. He expresses appreciation to the Philippians. But he says, no, Philippians, that what makes you different is God's grace in your life. Continue to give, trusting in the Lord, desiring to further God's purpose and to honor his name. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us to always be rejoicing ultimately in you, whether in times of prosperity or times of hardship. Teach us the great lesson. Learning how to suffer need and also how to deal with abundance. Knowing that in each and every situation our ultimate dependence is upon you. May we never get to the place where we think you cannot provide and may we never get to the place where we think that we don't need you to provide. But Lord, may we always see you as the source of a very good and perfect gift. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We rejoice that we are in a time, even in this building program, that we're actually ahead of budget, having adopted a new budget, a difficult budget to fulfill. And yet we are farther ahead of budget than we've ever been in the life of the church, even in the time of COVID, even in the times of adversity and hardship. Lord, we acknowledge the faithfulness of your people. And we're thankful for the faithfulness of your people, ultimately because of your grace in your people's lives. 
how you provided for them, how you've kept them, how you've given them a spirit of generosity, how you have fostered within them a desire to see the work go forward and the gospel proclaimed. Ultimately, Lord, we are trusting in you. For we know that of ourselves, we are insufficient. And even as we began this program, we said, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. So tonight, we acknowledge your glory. We acknowledge your provision. And I pray you would give us each confidence that you will meet our needs individually. That we can rely upon you. May we ultimately always be looking to you, not a benefactor, not any particular giver, resting our hopes entirely upon an individual and saying, what would we do if that individual didn't exist? How could the work continue on? Oh, Lord, may our cause of rejoicing always be in you, who are able, you who are able to raise up other givers, other donors, other suppliers, you who will enable those donors, those suppliers to give. Lord, continue to work within us to your honor and to your glory. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.